Hi everyone, and welcome to House Wine. I'm your host, Rachel, and this is a podcast for everyone who maybe wants to know a little bit more about wine, or is thinking about becoming a sommelier but doesn't know where to start. Today we're really going to go back to basics and talk about French wine law, the kinds of wine they're making in France, and the ways in which French wines are labeled. There's going to be additional episodes that cover individual regions in more detail, but today we're just going to do a roundup of everything France so that everyone's on the same page. So if you're just beginning to get into wine, this is a really great episode for you. And if you're already into wine, maybe on your path to becoming a sommelier, uh, then this one will be a great review. As in all episodes, I'm going to cite my sources at the top of the episode, so if you'd like to do a little bit of additional reading on your own, these are great materials for you to have. Today, I'm mostly referencing one book, and that book is The Oxford Companion to Wine, 4th edition by Jancis Robinson. My own notes also that I've taken working in the field as a sommelier, and I'm also really not ashamed to admit it, but I looked at Wikipedia quite a bit for this entry, or this podcast, the Wikipedia entry for this podcast, because I don't have a photographic memory and sometimes I just need to really quickly check a few things. So let's dive into French wine and become experts. I should also add that in this episode I'm going to be referencing some wines and I'm going to put those in the show notes so you can look them up on your own. Uh, They're classic wines that really exemplify regions that I'm talking about and I'm also going to quite heavily reference Sancerre. And just a quick note for those of you who don't know, Sancerre is an AOC and we'll talk about what that exactly that is in a second, Uh, but it's considered sort of to be the ancestral home of Sauvignon Blanc in France. And I'm going to reference it because I think it's a really good example of how wine labels work in France. You're never really going to see the words Sauvignon Blanc on a label. Instead, you would see something like Sancerre, and the assumption is that if you're buying a bottle of Sancerre, you already know that it's Sauvignon Blanc. And the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people don't. Uh, Having worked in a restaurant for most of my life, it's really common that people will come in and say, you know, can I please get a glass of of Sauvignon Blanc? And you're like, absolutely, we have a lovely Sancerre by the glass. And they're like, "Mm, no, I'm I'm really looking for a Sauvignon Blanc. And then you have that sort of tricky situation where you have to guide them without making them feel like they've done something wrong or made a mistake. So it happens really all the time. So the first thing we need to understand when we're talking about French wine is categories. If you can grab a pen and draw, or visualizing is absolutely all right as well, draw a triangle and put two lines in the center of it to make a pyramid with three segments. In the very top of the pyramid, you're going to write AOC, and we're not about to talk politics right now, uh, even though she is a fierce queen. AOC stands for Appellation d'Origine Contrôlée, or in English, the controlled appellation of origin. And this is the top of the pyramid, as these wines are from regions that have been legally designated by the French government, the branch of which is called the INAO, or the Institut National de l'Origine de la Qualité, or in English again, the National Institute for Quality and Origin. AOC wines are usually classic wines that represent the top tier of French wine, and on the label they're usually denoted by their place of origin rather than the grape that's inside the bottle. So 
When you're looking at a wine that comes from a place like California, you might see something like Cake Bread Cellars, Sauvignon Blanc from Napa, California. But when looking at a Sauvignon Blanc from France, you might see a label that reads Domaine Vacheron, Sancerre AOC. And this puts the onus really on the consumer or the wine connoisseur to know that the wines from Sancerre are almost always going to be made up of Sauvignon Blanc because that's the rule in that particular region. Now, I say almost always going to be made up of Sauvignon Blanc because there is a tiny amount of Pinot Noir that's allowed in this AOC as well. About 10% of all grapes grown are Pinot Noir. So you have like a very tiny little bit of Pinot Noir and then about 90% Sauvignon Blanc. Another really good example that I like to use of this is Champagne because it's something that everybody knows in some way or another. And at its essence, although it is sought after and expensive, it is a sparkling wine from France. Now, you can absolutely make sparkling wine in France that is not Champagne, because Champagne itself is a geographically delimited area. So only wines that are made in the legally limited borders of Champagne can in fact be called Champagne. Most other sparkling wine that is made using a similar method in France is called Cremant. And of course, there are AOPs and rules for that as well, but that will be another episode. I really love the champagne example because when I was growing up, uh, there was a ginger ale called Canada Dry. And this ginger ale, when I was a kid, had a little slogan on the side of the can that said, the champagne of ginger ales. And I remember when I was a kid just thinking that was like something about that really enchanted me. I thought that was really cool and you know it's like when my parents would have parties I'd, I'd put the ginger ale in a flute and be like oh it's champagne because it's the champagne of ginger ales and it made me feel very like classy uh, and you know uh, very cool when I was just a little kid and then it must have been sometime around my late teens or early 20s. I remember picking up a can and realizing that it no longer had that slogan. It just said, you know, Canada Dry, and they'd taken away the champagne of ginger ales. And then it wasn't until much later when I became a sommelier that I realized the reason that there was no longer that slogan was because Canada Dry had actually been sued by the AOP of champagne. And it's one of those things where... It took me being a sommelier to realize that, and it's a very simple thing, but you're literally not allowed to call anything that isn't made within that geographically delimited area in Champagne, Champagne. It's a really good example to sort of like make you understand how these, how legally these AOPs work. And I just called it an AOP, and we'll talk about that in a second. I'll try and use the term AOC from now on, um, but the two are essentially interchangeable, and we'll get to that a, a little bit later in the podcast. AOCs can be large and encompass whole regions, or they can be incredibly small and protect a single village, or in some cases, even just a single vineyard. This means that you can imagine the AOP system, AOC system, almost like you would uh, Russian nesting dolls. Bourgogne or Burgundy is an AOC, and you might see a bottle in a wine shop with a label that just simply says Bourgogne. And this means that the grapes in that bottle came from anywhere within the entire region of Burgundy. You might also see a label in the same wine store in the same section that says Vos Romanet. And this wine is also from Burgundy, but it's from a smaller AOP, AOC, nestled within the greater region. 
And this means that the grapes in this wine are sourced only from the village of Vosromene. Then, in the same section, in the same wine store, you might see a bottle that is labeled La Tache. And this is a single vineyard AOC in Burgundy, meaning that the grapes in this bottle all come from the same single vineyard site. So now you can kind of see the rest, Russian, <laughs> Russian nesting dolls analogy. You have a large AOC with a small village AOC inside of it and an even smaller vineyard AOC inside that one. The best way to know what you're looking at in that scenario is price. A wine labeled Burgong is most likely going to be the cheapest and that does not mean that it is not good. So go ahead and get it if it's in your price point and you like a light-bodied Pinot Noir that's a little bit fruity and a little bit earthy, it's probably very delicious. A wine labeled Vos Romanet will be edging towards being a little bit more expensive because remember that comes from a single village within the region. But if you have a special occasion or you're feeling a little fancy or you're in the mood for something a little bit extra delicious, uh, then that wine is probably going to be very good. Then we have the wine labeled Latash, and I lied. This is probably not on the shelf. This is probably locked in a glass cabinet that's temperature controlled at the back of the store. Um, because when we start talking about single vineyard wines, we're start starting to talk about sort of the creme de la creme of the AOC system. These really tightly controlled and tightly protected vineyards, and they get very, very, very expensive. We're talking wines that are in the hun hundreds of dollars category. So there are large AOPs that encompass whole regions like Burgundy and Champagne. And a few more examples of this would be places like Alsace, which is an AOC, or Cremant de Bordeaux, which is the sparkling wine AOC that's made from grapes that can be sourced anywhere within the Bordeaux region. So now that we understand AOC, let's go back to our drawing of the pyramid. In the center of the pyramid, write or imagine the letters IGP. And this stands for Indication Géographique Protégée, or in English again, protected geographical indication. And this designation used to be called vin de pays before the EU revised its wine law to make them more universal across all the countries of the European Union. This was met with, how shall we say, moderate success. IGPs tend to be larger regions that cover more territory, but the principle remains that the wines must come from that district or that distinct IGP. For example, you could not blend a wine made in the Val de Loire IGP with a wine made from the Pédoc AGP, one being from the north of France and one being from the south of France. These tend to be larger areas than AOCs, but they also have their own rules. In the IGP system, winemakers have a little bit more room to play, whereas a white AOC wine from Sancerre must be 100% Sauvignon Blanc. The regulations for the Val de Loire IGP encompass the entire Loire Valley and are a little bit more relaxed on things like grape varietals and styles. This is where you see winemakers making more experimental or out-of-the-box wines. Not literally out of a box, but metaphorically out of the box, ideologically out of the box, and deciding to classify their wines as IGP rather than AOC to make a range of styles that don't fit within the stringent rules of the AOC system. One of my favorite and I think a really compelling example of this is a place called the Colline Rodonnaise, a wine region at the northern tip of the Rhone Valley 
it's almost as much a part of Beaujolais as it is the Rhone. Where the wines in the AOC just to the south of this region and the Cote Roti are quite strictly controlled, many of the producers based in the Rhone had invested in vineyard sites here and are making less expensive natural and or experimental wines that they would be unable to make just a few kilometers to the south. So you really have an interesting mix of things happening in IGP and it's where you can get some really delicious and good value wines. Now back to our pyramid. At the very base of the pyramid we're going to write Vin de France. And Vin de France is most commonly associated probably with table wine. These are wines that you would buy in like a French supermarket for two euros and take down to the beach. Many of these wines never get exported and are intended for domestic consumption. And these wines are really being enjoyed in France by the French people. But, surprise, surprise, there are exceptions. Pretend that a producer in the Loire, and I'm not basing this on an actual case, this is purely hypothetical. They have purchased a plot of land and they've tried to grow Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir, the two grapes that are allowed to be produced at the AOC level. But they aren't happy with the wine, so they dig up those grapevines and plant something else. They decide to plant Chenin Blanc and Gamay, two grapes which are permitted to be grown in this region, but must be labeled IGP, as only Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir can be classified as AOC wines. So everything is going well, and the winemaker is now making IGP wine, but he's still not really satisfied with the product. He has a friend that lives in the south of France that comes up and visits every summer and keeps telling him that his plot of land would be great for growing Syrah. So he tears up his vines and decides to plant Syrah, which is pretty out of the box and crazy for this area of the Loire Valley. And after three years, because that's about how much time it takes for grapevines to start being fruitful, he makes his first quote-unquote Sancerre Syrah. But he can't really call it Sancerre because in order to be labeled Sancerre and to have that name on the label, he'd have to be making wine from Sauvignon Blanc or Pinot Noir. So when he goes to label his wine, he realizes that he's also no longer using the grapes that are permitted even in the IGP Val de Loire. So how does he label his wine? Well, in that case, he has to label it Vin de France. Now, this fictional Sancerre Syrah might be an incredibly delicious wine. Maybe it wins tons of prizes and is hailed by sommeliers globally for its really niche and esoteric appeal and everyone's loving it. But that doesn't mean that it will ever be categorized as anything but Vin de France, unless the laws change, which I'm definitely not going to hold my breath for. So like the IGP category, you can have very good wines being made at the Vin de France level. And this can be tricky because people tend to sometimes want to use the AOC system as a measure of quality, but in essence, it is a hierarchical legal structure intended to preserve the historical and cultural identity of products, rather than tell you if they are good or bad. I use the word product here deliberately because AOCs are not just for wine. Brie, Camembert, Comte de, which are all cheeses, are protected under the AOC system. So is Cognac, Armagnac, and Calvados, which is kind of the family of French brandies. Even rum from Martinique has its own AOC, along with a variety of honeys, jams, sausages. There's livestock and chickens from all over France that are protected as AOC. Anything that could be 
or can be considered historically and integrally part of the cultural identity of France can petition to become an AOC. So now we understand the levels of French wine law, but let's finish up by talking about why. Many of the regions that are classified under French wine law and those that have AOC status are thousands, hundreds of years old, many having been planted with grapes by the Romans before even the common era. This makes it seem like French wine law could be very old and rooted in traditions that were maybe laid out by the monks of Burgundy or by the great houses of Bordeaux. But in fact, the AOC system is quite young and very much a product of the 20th century. Though there had been quite a few attempts to classify wine in the 19th century, probably the best example being the 1855 classification of Bordeaux, where a certain number of chateaus in that region were classified in ranking order of one to five, known none other as the classification of 1855 because they weren't very original. However, this classification was only for Bordeaux, not for the entirety of France, and there was no delimitation of how you could make these wines or what they were. This was just a ranking system for what they considered to be the best in that particular region. What really changed the game for French wine law was phylloxera. For those of you who don't know, uh, phylloxera is a root louse. It's native to North America and it came to Europe in the late 1800s and basically plowed its way through most of their vineyards. Whole swaths of vineyards died and growers were unable to fight it, making winemaking very difficult and very tenuous. By the early 20th century, this made many of the great wines of France ripe for counterfeiting. Grapes and grape must were being imported from all over Europe and North Africa and being passed off as the great Bordeaux and Burgundies. Eventually, there was a solution for phylloxera. It was discovered that by grafting the roots of American vines onto the Vitis vinifera vine, which is the genus, species? I don't know, you have to look that up for yourselves. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> which is the uh, European grapevine, they would have a natural defense against the louse. And that's the way most wine is grown today, with an American rootstock and a European vine attached to the top of it. As American grapevines had long built up a resistance to this bug, but the counterfeit market had already done damage to French wine and its reputation. An alliance of grape growers in Chateauneuf de Pape in the Southern Rhone rallied together, and in the 1930s, they began to ensure the quality of their wines based on region, the types of grapes used in the blend, and the specificity of taste. In 1935, the INAO, the Institut National des Appellations d'Origine, which we talked about a little bit before, was created, and using the self-imposed guidelines of Chateauneuf-du-Pape as a model, they began delimiting the wine regions of France based on cultural heritage and the specificity of their wines. The first ever region to be awarded AOC status was Chateauneuf-du-Pape itself in 1936, which was a bit of a no-brainer because they'd basically done all the legwork themselves anyways. Now, I use the term AOC, but at the time, these wines were called AOPs, which is why I keep mixing them up. They are, for all intents and purposes, the exact same thing. In 2011, they changed the wording slightly because the European Union wanted to create a system that was unified across all of Europe, covering everywhere from France and Spain to Greece and Hungary. But the transition was complicated, especially for the Italians. But we'll talk a bit more about that when we discuss Italian wine law. It really opened up a whole can of worms. The most important thing to take away is that the AOC 
slash or bracket AOP bracket system was the model for wine law in Europe. And most other countries use a method that follows suit to what France did in the early 20th century. There are now over 300 AOCs for wine. But before you count out exactly 300 cue cards and go crazy if you're studying to be a sommelier, you probably do not need to memorize them all. They cover everything from champagne to sweet wine, and they make it really easy for you, the consumer, to know exactly what you're drinking with a quick Google search. And that was the goal all along, for you to know what was in your bottle. I'm a huge nerd for this kind of thing. I really, really love it. So that's French wine law in a nutshell, and I hope it was helpful. I know it can be a lot to unpack and a lot to understand, but you have the three-tiered system that tells you what's in your bottle, but doesn't tell you how good the wine is. Unfortunately, you just have to drink to find that out. I'll leave you there. In the next few episodes, we're going to be covering a few of those key French wine regions, and we'll start to branch out from there. House Wine is an independent podcast, so please leave a comment, rate, subscribe. It all goes a really long way, and I look forward to spending more time with you. Until we meet again, I hope you drink something delicious. Cheers. Cheers.